Hi everyone. We hope you are well and we are glad you are here. Often episodes we run on Status Go have been recorded several weeks and sometimes months in advance, as was the case with this episode, in which we address diversity in tech, and more specifically, women in tech. We are calling this out because we realize this particular aspect of diversity is not the focus right now, and you may wonder why our discussion wasn't more broad. We also want to acknowledge that the technology industry has a long way to go in terms of diversity in both gender and race. These are both areas we will continue to address moving forward, as we believe a diverse, inclusive environment is a benefit to our teams, our organizations, and our industries. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you. For me, this goes back to my hometown in Arkansas, and it's our end user is a frontline worker, and that's different than a lot of software. A lot of software is targeted toward a different sort of user, but the end user is like family to me. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Our guest today has the distinct honor of asking me the greatest question I have ever been asked while participating in a panel discussion. But we're going to get to that a bit later. I'm Jeff Tun, and welcome to Status Go. Today's guest is the CEO of a tech startup. Actually, they are probably beyond startup. They would be probably considered in scale-up mode. As a woman tech CEO, which are few and far between, Robin Fleming has an interesting story. I don't want to give it away, but her career in tech and her journey to CEO is inspiring. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. Excited to be here. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I know your life as CEO is demanding, and I appreciate you carving out the time to talk with us. Take us on your journey. Let's let's start at the beginning. Well, um, you know, the beginning uh, is actually a very long time ago, uh, as it seems now. So I've been I've been in uh, technology for over 34 years now and really lucky that I went down this path and it wasn't my preordained path. Um, I'm going to take you back to high school, but we'll do this quickly. I had a, a wonderful opportunity in high school to take a computer science class. It was the, the first, first class ever given in my school on Tandy TRS 80s oh, wow. for basic yeah. programming. I know in that. That's yeah, that's basic. going back, isn't it? That's going back. That's in the way back time machine. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I absolutely loved it. But I was one of those young women who I didn't think I could compete with the guys. So for college, I went with uh, things that were a little bit easier and more natural to me, or so I thought. And that was uh, communications, journalism, and I minored in art. And really, I thought, uh, this will date me as well, I thought I was going to be the next Barbara Walters, you know, do it, doing that hard-hitting uh-huh. journalism. Yeah. But um, as it turns out, somewhere around my junior year, after I'd burned through much scholarship money for a very <laughs> wonderful but expensive school... I I really realized I wasn't on the right path. And um, my mom worked for a a wood products company in my hometown. 
a very large company, international paper company at that time. And she was blazing new trails with VisiCalc and, you know, doing all kinds of really great things in their accounting department. And she said, you know, you really ought to rethink this whole computer thing. As it turns out, she helped me get a a part-time job slash internship there to implement an inventory control system. Now, this was a system that was being built by the IT team out of Dallas for the same company, one of the two beta sites. And uh, I had no idea what I was doing, like not a clue. (laughs) I deleted the database, no telling how many times. And this was uh, Novell Network, Foxbase Database. It was dial-up modem. It was... Um, it was a mess and it was super fun. And for me, you know, at that point in time, I did everything from data entry to troubleshoot the system, to QA, to training people. And the people that I were training, these are like, you know, blue collar workers. This is like kind of the core of my hometown. It's very much blue collar. My family was predominantly blue collar. And so some of the folks I was training didn't have all their fingers and I was trying to teach them how to type. And, you know, and it's, it's funny on one hand and they were good sports about it, but on the other hand, you know, they'd been seriously injured and and really a challenge. So that was how I got started. And so rather than do a double major um, and spend a lot more money that I didn't have, my friends that were in the computer industry said, you should just go for it. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? They're like, just on the job training, just go get a job, you know? And so I moved to Dallas and did that. And that's what I've done ever since has been kind of working my way up in companies where we started out with products that ran on DOS and then, then windows and OS two and name and operating system. I've, I've worked on software, spent a lot of time, um, it was predominantly on the tech side, but I, I did stints in computer support and eventually ran those kinds of teams and did some customer facing roles as well. And I absolutely love it. It's it's one of the best things I think that's um, ever happened to me in my life to get me on this path. And so I owe a, a huge thank you to my mom and to a lot of other people who pushed me in this direction. So was it the same company when you moved to Dallas? Um, was it the same wood products company or was it... Did you start off for with a different company at that point? I started out with a company called VHA. It was Voluntary Hospitals of America. And that ended up being a very short job because uh, they shut down the division that I joined after about three months. So, Of course, of course. But had, I know, that's just the way it works. But then I ended up going to a computer graphics software company. It was uh, not a very interesting name, but it was called Computer Support. And we made products called Digraph, Picture Perfect, and eventually arts and letters. So that was where I really cut my teeth for, for many years. I did tech support. I took about 90 phone calls a day on, a, on an average day. Uh, and then I and then I moved into QA from there. And that's really what, what got me started. And I worked for a number of, of companies in Dallas after that. I worked for uh, companies that made man-machine interface software. I worked for US Data. I worked for um, I2 Technologies, which builds supply chain management and logistics software. Oh, yeah. uh, before I came to Indiana, I worked for Match.com, where we help people find love. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then I, I moved to Indiana over 10 years ago to join Aprimo. And Aprimo was acquired by Teradata during my job interview. Uh, so on day one, it was Aprimo. And day two, it was Teradata, which oh, really wow. kind of, yeah, that was a, <laughs> 
a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, that's got to make you rethink the decision, doesn't it? Just a little bit? It's got to be that question mark. Yeah, it was like, wait a second. <laughs> this is pretty, I, this has never happened before, but it was uh, all a, a good thing at that time. And then um, I helped people find plumbers at, at Angie's List after that. And then as I was looking, you know, good outcome with Angie's List where the company was acquired by IEC and put together with Home Advisor and spun up a new company. Uh, called Angie Home Services. And most of the the leadership team left, including myself. And as I was leaving, it was, what am I going to do now? And uh, High Alpha approached me when they heard that I was looking. And quite frankly, I did not want to leave Indiana, but sometimes to get the certain level role and to stay building software, you got to be flexible. Yeah, you got to be flexible to move. So they approached me uh, when they heard I might be looking and uh, pitched me some very interesting ideas, An- Anvil being one of those. So they, they got my attention, and, and I'll bring this back full circle because this comes back to my roots. Um, you will not find on my resume anything that says I worked at International Paper Company implementing an inventory control system, teaching people that didn't have all their fingers how to use software and how to type. And so when, when High Alpha pitched me one of the ideas, they, they asked me, they're like, do you know what OSHA is? And i like, yeah, I do. I'm not yeah. like, intimately familiar, but yeah. And they're like, really? And uh, so I explained, you know, grew up in a blue collar town, worked for International Paper Company, drove past the OSHA sign every day. And in all, all that time, I mean, I knew people that had been seriously injured um, not just the the ones that I was teaching how to use the software, but other types of injuries, and then I, I knew people who had been killed, and so it was it was close to home for me when they pitched me this idea and, and resonated pretty quickly. And I still, when I talk about really kind of that connection that I had with the idea mm-hmm. uh, with Anvil, I still I still get goosebumps. And you know, it's unusual because founders usually bring their idea to the table, right? The the high alpha model. They have uh, also an incubator. They take ideas from corporates and they take ideas from founders and then they come up with their own ideas. And And so it was a bit of a matchmaking thing to put, put me together with Anvil. And I'm, I'm just so very grateful. That is a great part of your story. And that's what I remember about our pre-call were those, uh, the goosebumps. Having them pitch you an idea that is workplace safety given mm-hmm. your roots at the the paper company back in Texas. It's funny sometimes how the universe uh, conspires or transpires to bring us to those kinds of uh, coincidences in life, isn't it? Yeah, it really felt truly serendipitous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they pitched me some other ideas as well. But the thing that really resonated to me was, hey, we're looking at, you know, the solution for workplace safety. It's going to take paper forms and processes and transform them into really a digital solution for the frontline worker. And I'm like, what do you mean paper? And they're like, yeah, paper. So I'm like, who's using paper? And, and so one of the other things that really was a draw for me is the fact that you can look across any industry, whether it's construction or manufacturing or energy or oil and gas, there are sectors and many companies that have you know, the most sophisticated software in the back office and for marketing and kind of you name it, they're still using paper paper forms and processes for the front line. And it's it's very true for safety. So some of the things that I personally filled out before I walked through the plant 
you know, that's still the kind of thing that's happening today. So it really resonated with me to be able to take the tech experiences, both both my successes in the past and the failures and and try to apply those in a positive way uh, to build the Anvil. A couple of things that just jump out to me from your story. First of all, is your mom's influence uh, yeah. on that first position is just tremendous. But a couple of other things was your journalism uh, degree in your art. I just mm-hmm. run into so many people in technology careers that have a creative bent, whether it's music, art, writing. And I just find that fascinating because stereotypically, we're not seen as creative when we're technology professionals. I just find that interesting. And the other one that I just loved, Robin, was when you said (laughs) it was a real mess and it was super fun. (laughs) That's the other thing that I think uh, attracts people to this type of profession, right? Is we love to fix problems. We love to clean up messes. Yeah. And I I think that kind of goes with having that creative background and that mindset too, is you're, you often start with a blank sheet of paper and you're creating something or you're putting things together in an unusual way. Um, You know, so yeah, I think there's a, and I think that's changed, right? So I, I believe over the years, it's less about precisely what your degree is and more about what your aptitude is and, and what you right. can do with it. So, um, but yeah, I, I would go one, one other thing I'd mentioned my mom's influence. She was truly my hero. Um, she was just kind of fearless in the face of, of learning to new technology and, and just like had a voracious appetite and it was contagious. She did not push me in this direction, uh, but she encouraged me to be open and to be open-minded and to really be realistic about what I was good at and maybe what I could even be better at if I tried it. Yeah. We need people like that in our lives. And mm-hmm. for that to be your mother, I just think that's an, an amazing yeah. story. Yeah. I want to dig in a little bit more into Anvil and what work you're doing there. But before we get into that detail, tell us just a little bit about High Alpha Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think their model might be a little different than a lot of what our our listeners are used to. And and then unpack for me, if you don't mind, Robin, that decision Mm -hmm. to go from you've worked for all these companies for your career um, and now you're an entrepreneur. You're in a startup, a new space as a CEO. That had to be an interesting decision process to go through. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's start with with High Alpha. And High Alpha is a a venture studio. That's kind of a core part of it. And what that means is they take ideas, they they create ideas, they collaborate on ideas and really help um, a founder uh, or that idea take shape. And, you know, they put resources, they've got a shared service model with just a wonderful set of talented resources that help you with everything from how do I pay bills to what are the legal docs I need to put in place to let's get, let's get kind of that initial MVP scoped out uh, and the design. So they've got a lot of different services and HR and things that, that they help you with to really get up and off the ground. And then you've got four fantastic partners that um, you know, with Scott Dorsey and, and I've been blessed to, to work with, you know, Mike Fitzgerald and Eric Tobias and Christian Anderson, they're all really fantastic. So you've got really kind of a team of coaches who's been around the block, 
um, not only with the companies that they've incubated, but others as well. So that's the kind of the studio side. And then once you grow to a certain level, then you become more and more independent and you make seek outside investment like we did with our seed round. Um, and then it kind of goes from there. Uh, the other side of the of high alpha is a portfolio or is the uh, really kind of the capital side. They invest in various companies, not just what they've incubated, but other companies that may be at a different different path in their uh, in their journey. So for me, the idea for Anvil was brought to high alpha actually by Cummins, and it was long before I knew about the idea. And they they worked on it together for a few months, trying to decide as their you know, is there a product? Is there a solution here that people will buy? As it turns out, that kind of that influence and that spark of the idea from Cummins uh, really netted a realistic product and a real need in the market because of the fact that there's these big enterprise health and safety solutions, which are wonderful and needed. They, you know, it's policy management and OSHA reporting and incident tracking and all those sorts of things. But despite all of that, there still wasn't something to put in the hands of the worker. And so the, the whole genesis behind Anvil is, you know, before the death, uh, before the injury, before the near miss, we want to be able to detect something as early as possible. And to do that, it has to be something that engages that frontline worker. So that's that's really the, the whole idea behind Anvil and, and, and where it came from. And then for me, you know, getting on board... I didn't, I didn't leave Angie's list thinking I'm going to go be a CEO. That was, <laughs> that was not what I was thinking. Um, but as I started talking to high alpha and really getting my head wrapped around what all were we going to need to be doing and what help would we need uh, and what help would we get from high alpha, then it, then it became a little bit more clear to me that this is like a super big project at some of the other companies that I'd run. Um, so while I wasn't the CEO at those other companies, uh, I was in different levels, still ran some really big critical path projects that were in some cases kind of make or break for the company. So I just kind of felt, you know what? I think I want the CEO role. If I'm going to do this, I want to be a thousand percent in. Um, yeah. I think I, I'm not going to know everything. I'm not going to have all the answers. Um, but I've got a really fantastic team of people that will help me through this process. What a great opportunity. I, I love the story, Robin. So on this podcast, we talk a lot about transformation. And I know when we talked earlier, you were talking about transformation of the safety industry and some of the mm -hmm. things that you guys are, are doing with that. Uh, I know you've mentioned that on the call today, but could you go a little bit deeper on some of the things that you're doing that transforms safety? Yeah. When you think about, um, let's take that piece of paper, right. That, that a worker fills out and in the normal life of a frontline worker, and you could think again, construction, you could think manufacturing floor, it could be, um, you know, an industrial worker who's going to be servicing equipment. It could be the guy that's going to make sure that your electricity is back on, you know, climbing the poles and, and doing those sorts of things. Um, you can imagine there's regulations to keep them safe. There's best practices to keep them safe. And one of the most important things is getting them trained in creating a culture of safety so that they really stop and think. And they make the right decision. And some of it's something as simple as I'm going to wear that harness if I'm going to climb up on that roof, right? 
I'm going to maintain three points of contact if I climb that ladder that's in a very precarious position, or I'm going to wear the gloves that keep me safe. So some of it is uh, people get in a hurry. They don't stop and think. Um, and what happens with paper today is that, you know, you may have a something like a pre-work assessment. And the whole idea is to help you think about what you're doing. It might have questions that are very simple, like, are you trained and authorized for this job? Um, do you have the right PPE? Have you assessed the hazards and risks? But what happens when people fill that paperwork out every day, and in some cases, many times a day because of you know, a shift change or they're on a different crew, they do what's called pencil whipping. And, <laughs> and that, that simply means um, it's like when we download a new application on our phone and there's going to be terms and conditions, how many people stop and read that? Oh, yeah. And you, yeah. you don't, you don't do it. It just becomes a routine. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. Let me just, let me just move forward. Well, that's what happens for the frontline workers is this paper is meaningless. And often, you know, companies can roll out new paper forms. And again, the workers may not pay attention. We run into situations where workers, because the paper was required, would go to FedEx and get a, get a pad of them and, you know, just change the date so that they were just quote unquote filling out their paperwork. So that, that's kind of the core of really creating a solution that would be innovative about uh, putting technology in the frontline workers' hands with a goal of making them stop, making them think, um, let's not ask questions that don't make any sense, right? Let's, let's ask the ones that are relevant so what we've also designed is a solution that is, um, it's dynamic. So the workflow itself presents you with relevant questions based on the information that we have or based on information that you give us. And then we can build in uh, rules and alerts so that when that worker says, no, I'm not trained and authorized, we can say stop and call your supervisor. So it's yeah. an interactive, immersive experience and that's, it's kind of digital innovation 101, but we're doing it with the eye of the frontline worker uh, and how can we keep it simple and, and easy for them? Yeah. And it, again, it goes back to your, to your roots, right? Not only are you trying to automate the processes and make them streamlined, you're trying to make people safer. Yes. That's the whole point of it. I think that's a, a fabulous mission. Now, as you were describing that, you used an acronym that I dare say two months ago, no one in our audience would have known what you meant, but today they all know what PPE is. Yeah. So for our listeners, we're actually recording this podcast about eight weeks into the shelter in place of COVID-19. As we speak, many states, if not all of them, are now beginning to loosen the restrictions. Robin, from Anvil's perspective, what, what has been the impact on your organization? Mm -hmm. So for us, you know, one of the first things we did is uh, really think about how can we support companies that are, that are going through this process. There's, um, there's lots of ways to do that, but one of the first things we did was think about really what our, what our prospects and our customers are going to need, and they're all going to need to do, you know, screening. Uh, and, and there's questions around how detailed can that screening be and what about, you know, privacy information. And so we, we developed a set of templates that are uh, 
are simple, but they can also be customized for our customers. So that's one of the first things that we did uh, to try to make that available um, with the goal of helping companies as, you know, maybe they start going back up to 40 hours a week or bringing that third shift back on, or in some cases, just starting up again, period. Um, so that was one of the the first things that we really thought about doing and, and felt like that that would be uh, very helpful for our customers. We've also spun up, you know, free trials. Um, we're being flexible on terms for companies right now. There's a lot of, as you, as we all know, a lot of uncertainty from a business and economic perspective. And, and we get that. It gives us an opportunity to partner and collaborate, which is the genesis of what we wanted to do as a company. We wanted to figure out how we could, could be helpful. Certainly we want to make money, but there is a at the core of what we do, and I get, get I'm getting goosebumps again now. At the core of what we do, there's there's a true mission here about wanting to make sure that that companies can protect their workers and and help them go home to to see their families at the end of each day. It gets back to the one of the things you said in our pre call about technology is about the people, and not only is it, is it about the people that you're trying to help with your application. Mm-hmm. It is. And, you know, for me, this goes back to my hometown in Arkansas. And, and it's, this is, our end user is a frontline worker. And that's different than a lot of software. You know, a, a lot of software is targeted toward a different sort of user. But the end user is like family to me. They're like people that I grew up with, or literally, you know, my brother who ran electrical maintenance at that plant, or my other brother who ran, a, you know, a custom machine shop. So for me, it's real personal and, and I'm real passionate about it. So throughout your career, you've been, and I'm going to use air quotes that our <laughs> audience can't see, you've been the only woman in the room, a wood products company, IT, tech companies, now a CEO, but not just a CEO, but one whose product is targeted at a male dominated industry. What has that been like for you? Well, you know, it's interesting for me and you're right. I have often been the only woman in a room, but I grew up, um, I grew up with two older brothers. One was seven years older, one 14 years older. And I tried to be one of the boys and, and yes, I played with Barbie dolls, but I also played flag football and my brother uh, built and raced dirt, dirt track cars. So I, I wanted to be there for that. And we owned a, a Napa parts store and I was in there every day after school doing homework and it was nothing but men. And so I kind of, um, I grew up in an environment where that was not unusual for me. It was really kind of normal to be in those environments. So when I got out into the, the business world and even, even working at, you know, working at an international paper company, there were very few women that you would find uh, in a lot of parts of the plant. And when you walked down the, you know, you walk through the plant, you know, it was nothing but cat calls and, you know, I just kind of shrugged it off. Right. Um, I think later in life it became a little bit more evident to me. And I started trying to maybe blend in and, and be one of the guys, um, which doesn't work. It just really doesn't work. And I think you have to get to a place to, to be who you are and, be comfortable being, if you're the only woman in the room, be, be comfortable with that. And, and I think it was just easier for me because I, that's just the way I grew up. Yeah. So how have you seen the industry, the tech industry 
uh, evolve with respect to diversity over your career? Oh, I think it's evolved pretty dramatically. I mean, in the there's lots of stories that you hear now from long ago, and I certainly have my share. But you know, I don't I don't typically talk about it that much. But but I think the things that have changed over the years is just people being more aware of those those biases that that they have that we have that I have in trying to uh, be more aware of them in every interaction. I think the the flip side of it is um, we may be very aware now that we need to be more careful, and and I'm not sure if maybe that actually creates some problems uh, where people don't, and especially men, may not know what to do now, may not know how to act, may not know if it's okay to invite that female who's the only female in the team to dinner with the guys it's a work event so it's just i think it's brought up some um, positive things i think we are seeing more of a conversation which is good i think we're seeing more awareness around it which is good and and i definitely think we're seeing more promotion of women in the workplace and just diversity in the workplace which is i think it's all good but we're we're not there yet do you think that it will continue to improve? In, I'm talking specifically about the ranks of uh, CEO of tech companies. Do you see a, a trend forward in that space? I certainly hope so. I mean, we still, I, I've lost track. I, I've been so heads down the last couple of years working on Anvil that I've lost track of where we are with the stats. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we definitely have, I think more we're seeing more female CEOs uh, than perhaps we have before, and more more board members. But you know, the the, the last time I looked at the numbers, we, we're still very far from where we need to be. I think um, I think more women have to raise their hand and and be willing to say, you know what, I can do that. I can yeah. I can I could be a CEO. Um, I think part of it is going for it, and I think. A lot of women, um, myself included, we like to feel like we can do something before we do it. Um, and it, and it's risky and it's scary to kind of go out on a limb. And you know, we're just wired differently in some ways than men who will be, yeah, I can probably do that, even if they've never done it before. Right, so, right. you know, we we've heard a lot of conversations about that, and I, I certainly feel that that is true. Um, so I, I'm hoping that more women raise their hands that. In the startup world, that we have more VCs that are, are backing female-backed companies or, di- or diverse-backed companies. So I think things are moving in the right direction, but I think we've got a long way to go. So before we wrap, I want to go back in time a bit. I was a panelist, and you were the moderator. <laughs> Our topic was diversity. The audience was 95% women. And you asked the greatest question of the two male panelists, myself and one other. Your question was something like, if you were a woman, what advice would you give to other women to help them grow in their career? So Robin, I'm going to turn the tables on you a bit and ask you, if you were a man, what advice would you give to other men to help them create a more inclusive environment for women in tech? Well, there's a couple of answers to this question. The first one is hire more women. If you continue as a man, 
to hire people that look like you, that sound like you, that are like you, which is the tendency for most of us when we hire. I mean, that's a that's a trap. So I would say it starts with be intentional about hiring women, um, write job descriptions that are friendly for women. And that may, that may mean toning down the aggressiveness, right? I, I think it's just being intentional and thoughtful from that perspective. Those are kind of the, the big keys for me. And then I think the other would be, um, I, I continue to see it and have seen it for most of my career. Um, give women an opportunity to speak up, give women projects, challenge them and be their mentor. And despite the fact that a, a lot of men may be in a position where it's like, is it okay that I'm her mentor? I'm not sure. You know, we've, we've created a kind of a dicey situation. I'd say absolutely it is okay to, to be a mentor. Some of my best mentors have been men and they've given me some really good advice. So I, I think it would be those are kind of the key things that I would say that you would do, but first hire women. That's great advice, Robin, and, and I appreciate that. So the theme of our podcast is obviously the name of it is Status Go. It's breaking out of the status quo. And I always like to end with a strong call to action for our audience. So Robin, I'd love to ask your advice to our audience, male, female, non-binary. What is one thing they should do tomorrow? to advance their career because they listen to our conversation today? I think the one thing would be start having a really good internal dialogue about, are you doing what you're really passionate about? Could you be doing something completely different and what would make you happy? So it's, it's kind of that thing I did when I was, um, you know, back in college trying to decide if I go on this path and it was at least start thinking about it and start having that internal conversation. That's great because it does. It starts with you, you being Mm -hmm. our listeners, right? And understanding what is your passion? What do you want to be doing in life? Robin, I so enjoy our conversation every time we talk. I feel <laughs> like uh, I look at the clock and it's like, oh my gosh, we've we've uh, <laughs> we, we've been talking for over a half an hour, which is fantastic. I just love our conversations, and I really want to thank you for taking your time to join us today, share your insights, and to share your story with our audience. So thank you. Thank you, and uh, ditto. I'll always enjoy our chats as well. And thanks for having me on the show today. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. To our audience, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Robin Fleming. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.